we're going to look at one of the parables in the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to be. Let's start with prayer. God, it's so great to be here this morning um, as your body to worship you, to study your Bible in Sunday school classes, and to open up your word this morning collectively as, as a church to see what you might say to us and to listen to timeless truth. God, we do pray that you'll open our hearts this morning to your word, whether it's a familiar passage to us or one that we're not familiar with. I pray that you'll open it up to us this morning in a new way. Teach us something about your son and something about your will. God, I do pray that we would leave this place changed by your word encouraged, convicted if necessary, God, um, but changed. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place this morning. God, we thank you for everything you've given us, all of the gifts, the ability to come here and worship you without fear of persecution. God, to be a part of a Bible-believing church, we pray that you would be glorified at Trinity Baptist Church. Amen. So this parable is the parable of the weeds. It's one of the few parables that Christ um, gives and then immediately turns around and gives an explanation. Most of the parables, he doesn't do that. He does it for this parable. He also does it in chapter 13 for the parable of the sower, or I think of it as the parable of the soils, the four soils but he does it for this parable as well. We have to remember before we read this parable what the purpose of parables are. The Lord knows that we need illustration. We need pictures of the truth that he's presenting to us. And so parables are a great tool as we study the Bible. But you can get lost in the details of parables. Um, Every parable could be misinterpreted. Um, Parables can be (laughs) overemphasized. You can overemphasize the details. The purpose of a parable is to illustrate a theme or a central truth. So to be able to interpret the parable, you have to be able to identify what that truth is. So I'll just tell you here at the very beginning, I think that the entire purpose of the parable of the weeds is to illustrate the harvest. He turns around and he explains the parable, and that is the main focus of his explanation. But let's start reading in verse 24. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? That is the weeds. But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together. 
until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He gives another small parable. And then after he's done teaching for the day in verse 36, it says, then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The reason why I say that the main purpose of this parable is the harvest is because this story is the story of a farmer who refused to be distracted from his harvest in spite of a number of threats to the harvest. So let's look at those threats and let's learn something about the farmer in the, pro in the process. The first threat to the harvest that appears in this parable is the enemy. You see this in verse 24 down through about verse 28. He put the parable before them. A man who sowed good seed in his field, but while the men were sleeping, an enemy arrives. And he sows weeds among the wheat and goes away. That's all we know about this enemy. But it's clear, even just at the outset, that this enemy is not playing a harmless prank on the farmer. The enemy hates the farmer and hates what the farmer is doing. He's ruthless, cunning, and wicked. He's trying to destroy the farmer's livelihood, his finances. He's trying to take the food off of the farmer's table. Make no mistake, the enemy wants to ruin the farmer. He may even want to damage the farmer's reputation if the farmer is known for the months leading up to the harvest as the farmer with the weeds in his field. It's an embarrassment. The enemy hates the farmer. And so it's interesting to me that in this parable, even at the very, very beginning, the enemy shows up in the cover of darkness. He plants his weeds and then he disappears. And it's probably a long period of time before the farmer realizes what's happened. If the enemy planted the weeds at the same time that the wheat was planted, it may have taken weeks or months for the, the plants to grow up enough to be able to distinguish that there were actually two types of plants in the field. But what's even more interesting than that is the farmer's indifference to the identity of the enemy. The enemy has attacked the farmer personally, tried to ruin him, and yet the only thing that the farmer says about the enemy is, an enemy has done this. I would have been furious. If I had been the farmer, 
and I had worked hard to clear my field, to sow my field, to manage my field, only to find out that a cowardly enemy has planted weeds in it. I would have gone to the judge, tried to figure out who this was, let the authorities know somebody's out there trying to destroy farmers. Somebody's out there attacking in the cover of night. This is not a good member of society. We need to try and figure out who's doing this. Are there any other farmers who are being affected by this guy? What can we do? I would have asked my helpers, my servants, are you guys sure you didn't see anything? Nobody was watching that night. What do I pay you guys for? We have to figure out who this enemy is. Why does the farmer not want to know? I would have wanted to know. In maybe an unchristlike moment, I might have sought revenge on this enemy. If I can figure out who he is, maybe I can plant some weeds in his field. But that's not important to the farmer. And I think it's because the farmer is so focused on his harvest. He realizes the enemy is out there. He realizes the enemy hates him. But he's wise enough to realize that the enemy hasn't affected the harvest. He has a solution. This is a smart farmer. He looks out and he realizes the weeds aren't going to affect my harvest. We'll still harvest the grain. The grain will end up in my barn. The weeds will end up in the field burned. Everything's going to be all right. So he doesn't waste his time with the enemy. The enemy thinks he's succeeded, right? Weeks have gone by. Things have grown up. The realization has been made by the farmer and the servants that there's something else in the field. It looks like everything is going according to plan for the enemy. I think the farmer realized, if I just leave the enemy alone and don't mess with the weeds, the enemy's going to continue to think that he's winning. And I don't need to be worried about the enemy anymore. The enemy has done his worst, and it wasn't enough. The farmer is concerned with the harvest, and as long as the harvest is secure, he's not going to waste time pursuing the enemy. This is true of Satan. And I think this is a good reminder for us. Satan does his worst every day against the people of God and the purposes of God. And I'll just remind you, it's never enough. Never enough to upset God's plan. Never enough to upset God's harvest. And just like the farmer is focused on the harvest in this story, Christ is focused on the harvest. And he knows his enemy. The identity is no mystery to Christ like it was to the farmer in the story. But he knows that he doesn't have to worry. Christ is unconcerned with Satan as it regards to God's ultimate plan. And I'm not trying to make little the works of the devil. He's malicious and evil and what he propagates in the world is cruel and it's destructive I'm not minimizing the pain that he creates or the damage that he does to people's lives. I'm just saying that this parable says he cannot touch the harvest. And that should be a comfort to God's people. Because if Satan can't touch the harvest, we don't need to worry. 
farmer knows his field, the farmer knows his crop, and the farmer knows that the harvest is secure. All of the times in the Bible that we see Satan acting, he always falls short. Always. In the Garden of Eden, Satan thought that he had ruined God's creation. He had tempted and overcome Adam and Eve, and he thought, it's over. (laughs) I've ruined mankind. And in heaven, God was thinking, the harvest is going to be great because of this. Satan's out there working, but I'm going to work it to my people's good and the good of my plan. This is just going to let me redeem them. This is going to let me show them more of my character, more of my goodness. Satan's work came to nothing on that day. What about the story of Job? Satan looks pretty powerful in that story, right? He ruined that man's life for a period of time. Ruined his health, ruined his wealth, killed his kids, all in, it, in an attempt to get him to curse God. But in that story, we see Satan having to come before God, before any of that's done, to give an account before God. And it was actually God who suggested that Satan look at Job and consider tempting Job, because God wanted Satan to tempt Job. God wanted to turn around and bless Job even more. Satan thought he was ruining a life and that God was giving him permission to do it. But Satan was actually the tool of God to work about righteousness in the life of Job and to give us a book in the Bible that has helped millions to face sorrow. Satan's work came to nothing on that day. Another time we see Satan acting is when he's tempting Christ. Over and over he's trying to lure the Son of God away from the plan of God. But we see that Satan's not really powerful in that story. When Christ had had enough of him, he said, Be gone, Satan. I'm done with your temptations. What Satan was actually doing was he was helping Christ to face temptation like we did so that Christ could be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest. We still see Satan behind the scenes working out the purposes of God. And in Revelation, in Satan's final rebellion, Christ imprisons him for a thousand years. Puts him in time out for a while until he frees him again to be defeated once and for all. Satan's not powerful compared to Christ. We're told to beware of the enemy in the Bible. We're told to watch out for him, to be aware of his devices and his lures, but we're never told to fear him. And that's because we exist in the field of the farmer that has control. The farmer refused to be distracted by the enemy because he was so focused on his harvest. That's the first threat, and the farmer overcomes it through his wisdom. The second threat to the harvest is kind of funny to me. Um, It's actually the servants, the servants of the farmer. You see this starting in verse 28. Look at what it says. It says, uh, or actually look up in verse 27. It says, And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Okay, they knew that the master sowed good seed. All right? They're just prefacing their recommendation. And the master says, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? This was the best idea they could come up with. They knew something wasn't right with the field. They probably assumed that an enemy had done this. The master confirms it, 
And their recommendation, their advice, their thought is, well, let's just go out there and get the weeds. If an enemy is going out there and messing with your field, let's make the work of the enemy void. Let's go out there and gather the weeds. Let's stop what he's doing here at the very beginning. Which seems like a good idea at first. Maybe seems like a good idea to me. I'm not a farmer. Let's just take what the enemy did and undo it. They think this is a good idea. This is what they see as the solution. It's an immediate solution. They go out there the same day, gather up the weeds, done deal. But the farmer's wiser than that. And what seems like an immediate solution presented by the servants is actually in the eyes of the farmer a problem. The farmer knows that's not a good idea. The farmer can see further ahead than the servants can. The servants are focused on the weeds, but the farmer is focused on the wheat. And this is the wisdom of the farmer. This is the wisdom of our God. Who, who are the servants in this passage? I don't really know. We know who the reapers are. And it's interesting that Christ makes a distinction. In his explanation, he defines who the reapers are. They're angels. He never defines the servants in his explanation. So maybe it's a little bit un unimportant who the servants are. Um, but we can say they're imperfect helpers with bad advice. It could be us. All right? It could be your pastors and your Sunday school teachers and your missionaries. Good intentions, good hearts, but without the wisdom and knowledge of the farmer. They think they have a solution. They think they know what to do. The farmer knows it's not the idea. But it's because they were focused on the weeds. They couldn't get past the problem. And the farmer, because of his perspective and because of how valuable the harvest was to him, he was focused on the wheat. He had the right perspective. And just like he wouldn't be distracted in chasing down the enemy, he also wouldn't be distracted by chasing down the weeds. They were a problem. He wasn't denying that. The enemy was a problem, and he wasn't denying that. But he had a better focus. The servants had good intentions, but it wasn't their field. It wasn't their crop, and it wasn't their harvest. And they needed to listen to the advice of the farmer. He knew better. This would be me. I could never be a farmer. If I told Roxy I wanted to be a farmer, she'd say, think again. We'll all starve. <laughs> if I worked for a farm, I would be a hired helper because I don't have the knowledge to be a farmer. Harvey's a farmer. If I worked for Harvey... He would probably listen to my suggestions for the first week or two because he's a nice guy. <laughs> but before long, anytime I started with a suggestion, he'd say no. Hey, Harvey, should we know? <laughs> Harvey, what if we, uh-uh, no. No, no, no. He would shut down my ideas because I don't have the knowledge or the wisdom to be a farmer. I would just be a hired helper. Like these guys, Harvey would say, Brian, just pick up a shovel when I tell you to pick up a shovel. The farmer had the knowledge and the wisdom. He was the brains of the operation. Christ doesn't get distracted by problems. He keeps his eyes fixed on the goal, and the goal is the harvest. The goal is the good of the wheat, right? He could get distracted chasing down the enemy or chasing down the weeds, but he wants to focus on the wheat. And so he tells the servants, no. Should we go out and collect the weeds? No. No. 
No, Brian, you're wrong. Don't go out and collect the weeds. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. The servants were concerned with what was visible. The weeds were out there. But the farmer knew his crop, and he knew beneath the surface of the soil, those weeds and those wheat, they might have roots that are intertangled. So if we go out there and you're, you're yanking up things, you're going to yank up everything in the field, and you're going to affect my harvest. Sometimes the immediate solution isn't the best solution, and the farmer knows that. I think the servants were concerned. They, they really did have good intentions. Their bread came from that field too. Their success and their reputation, and it was all tied up in the success and reputation of their master. They just didn't know what to do. But the farmer knew what to do. The farmer wasn't distracted. He's never distracted. The enemy can't distract him. The weeds can't distract him. He has his eyes fixed on the, on the harvest. And then the third threat, and I think this is the main threat, are the weeds themselves. He had to get past the distraction that the enemy provided, that threat. He had to get past the distraction of the servants and their bad solution. But now he has to deal with the weeds. If going out into the field and just yanking up the weeds isn't the solution, what is the solution? Because we have to do something to protect the harvest. And I'll just remind you, the weeds are a problem in this story. We can't look at this story and say, well, the farmer didn't see them as a problem, so maybe they're not that big of a deal. The weeds are a huge deal. He just knows what the solution is. In the explanation, he says that the weeds are the sons of the evil one, causes of sin, and lawbreakers. The weeds are a serious issue in the story. No farmer likes to go out and see a field full of weeds. It had to hurt him every day to stand on his porch and look out there and see all of his hard work being sabotaged by his enemy. Watching his precious crop be choked and have to struggle against the weeds. Christ just gave us an illustration of a field that's rocky and thorny and how dangerous it can be to wheat. How those thorns, those weeds can keep the wheat from actually bearing fruit. The farmer knows the danger of the weeds better than anyone. But he's not going to rush to conclusions. He knows how to deal with the enemy. He knows how to deal with his servants. He knows how to deal with his crop. He knows what the wheat need to thrive in that field. I actually know at least in part, what plants need to thrive. I just have a difficulty getting it to them. I know plants need water and sunlight and nutrients from the soil. Can't seem to do it. When Roxy and I were in college, I actually had the idea of trying to grow Venus flytraps. I thought that'd be kind of cool. Plants that turn the tables. Plants are always getting eaten, right? But Venus flytraps actually eat animals. That's kind of interesting. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. I'll try and grow some Venus flytraps. And uh, 
none of them made it, right? None of them. I knew what they needed, but I, I couldn't get it to them. I, I actually purchased the wrong type of soil, right? So I don't think I was growing them in the soil that they needed. I think I was growing them in something like some random bag of potting soil I found at Walmart. So the soil wasn't right. They weren't getting the nutrients they needed. I would forget to water them all the time, and they weren't getting any sunlight. Because at the time, Roxy and I lived in like an apartment that only faced north, so we never got any direct sunlight. So, I mean, those little seeds never stood a chance, ever. Couldn't get them what they needed. The farmer knew that the wheat needed that. And he knew that the weeds would compete for every single thing. The weeds would block the sunlight. The weeds would soak up the water. And the weeds would draw the nutrition out of the soil. But don't mistake his confidence in the wheat for being unconcerned about the wheat. He just knew his crop. He knew that the wheat that he planted could prevail against the weeds and still contribute to a harvest. The weeds were awful. The weeds were a real threat to the wheat. But he knew what the wheat could do. All of the bad influence that the sons of the evil one the causes of sin and the lawbreakers could bring to bear on the wheat couldn't stop them from growing. He just had to be patient. He just had to let the wheat do what wheat do and it's grow. Don't go out and collect the weeds. He tells the servants, let both grow. This is verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The farmer had the perspective of being able to look past today and tomorrow and next week, and he saw that the harvest would still happen in spite of the weeds. He made plans for the harvest. I know what to do with the weeds. They will be burned. The wheat will end up in my barn in spite of what the enemy did. I'll just remind you this morning, God knows exactly where you're planted in his field if you're a Christian this morning. And he knows whether you're surrounded by two or three weeds or a dozen weeds. And yet, God is confident, absolutely confident, that you can grow and thrive and produce fruit right where he has planted you. Every Christian, in every century, in every country, in every family, in every job, and in every state of health can contribute to the harvest of the farmer. So don't give up hope if the circumstances are hard. Don't give up hope if you feel the influences of the enemy affecting you, if you feel choked by weeds. Because the farmer hasn't given up hope. The farmer knows the weeds, the farmer knows the wheat, and he knows the wheat is strong. I've killed just about every plant I've ever had, but 
there's one plant that's in my office that I've had for like five years. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how he's made it. I actually was looking at him earlier this week thinking, how are you still alive? Like, I've killed off all of your buddies by now. It just must be a strong plant, right? The farmer looks out at his field and he says, my wheat are strong. They're stronger than the enemy thinks they are. They're stronger than my own servants think they are. They can produce fruit where I've planted them. There is no threat to the harvest for this farmer. The enemy can't stop it. The servants can't disrupt it. The weeds can't disrupt it. God knows every stalk of wheat. He believes that every wheat can contribute to his harvest. So I'll just ask you as a really practical question, how are you contributing to the harvest of the farmer? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, I've just tried to emphasize to all of us this morning that the farmer does not take his eyes off the harvest. He won't let Satan upset it. He won't let imperfect servants upset it. He won't let the weeds choke it out. He is focused on that goal. And it's convicting to us to ask the question, how focused are we on that goal? Christ wants us to see the importance of the harvest. Do we see the importance of the harvest? In the passage before this, it's actually still chapter 13, but it's the parable of the sower. In the explanation of that uh, parable, it's actually like right before the parable we studied this morning. Look in verse 23. He says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He's acknowledging not all the wheat produce the same amount of grain. You have some wheat that produce 30-fold, but then on the other end of the scale, you have some that produce 100-fold. And I would just remind you this morning, if the harvest is this important to the farmer, and the farmer is the Lord Jesus, we should all be striving to be 100-fold type wheat. And I'll be the first to admit, it's really easy. It's really easy to slip into neutral as a Christian and to think, I've been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 50 years. This must be all there is. This must be the normal. And we slip into neutral and we stop growing and we, we stop producing more grains on our stock. We should wake up every morning asking God for just one more grain. Just one more. Whether God makes us like an Apostle Paul, who's obviously like a hundredfold type stock of wheat, or like a Brian, like a thirtyfold stock of wheat. However God gifts us, however God blesses us, however God equips us as wheat in the DNA of our, of our crop, we should always long for more. Because the harvest is important. Because the harvest is everything to the farmer. 
the harvest is the end of days. And when Christ sends out the angels to reap the harvest, we should long to contribute to that. Because of everything he's done for us. Because of how good of a farmer he is. One more kernel, Lord, just one more. So I would encourage you this morning to look back at your own life and to ask yourself, have you grown? If you look back one year or five years or ten years, is the Bible more important to you today than it was then? Is prayer a bigger part of your life today than it was then? Are you more faithful or holy or gentle? Is humility a bigger part of your life? Do you share the gospel more today than you did then? Do you long for selflessness? Are you more generous? Do you care about the needs of other Christians more? These are the types of things that produce fruit in our life. These are the fruits of having salvation, having the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you look back and you don't see that growth over a time span, it may be time to start growing again. God has given us all the tools we need to grow. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us access to the throne any time, day or night. Most of the times we don't grow, it's due to our own effort. Paul encourages us in the book of Philippians to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to work hard for the Lord, hard for the farmer, now that we know that the harvest is important. You may look at this story and you may think, I don't think I'm wheat. And I look at the description of the weeds, that sounds like me. In his explanation, he says that the angels will gather out the weeds. They're causes of sin, lawbreakers. Sometimes I enjoy going back and looking at older translations of the Bible. One of those this week, I, I noticed that it translated it instead of, um, instead of causes of sin, it said all those that offend, that which causes offense, or those that work iniquity. If that's who you are today, there is hope. Because the miracle of the church is that we were all once weeds. God can take weeds and turn them into wheat. I kind of like it. Okay. I do and I don't. I don't like it when people say that they don't want to go to church because church is full of sinful people or hypocrites or but at the same time, I want to say thank God. Thank God that the church is full of hypocrites and liars and angry and <clears throat> adulterers. Thank God because if the church wasn't full of those people, none of us would be here. God turns weeds into wheat. Sometimes it takes a while for that fruit to grow to be able to tell the difference. So if you're wheat this morning, I would just encourage you, don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. We should have the mindset of the farmer. And the farmer refuses to be distracted from the harvest. We should wake up every day thinking of the harvest. But if you're a weed this morning, it's not without hope. God can work the miracle of salvation even today. 
in your life. And he can turn you into a, a stock of wheat that contributes to his harvest. Let me pray for us this morning. Larry will come up and lead us in some songs. God, I thank you for this parable. I thank you for what it illustrates to us this morning. That the enemy can't stop the harvest. The servants can't distract you from the harvest. The weeds can't stop the harvest. You're going to make sure that the harvest happens. You are in control. It's your field. And you know the wheat better than anyone. God, I pray that we'll find encouragement in this passage this morning, God, that, that we would realize we can grow in whatever circumstances. You believe that the wheat can grow. You believe that the wheat can produce fruit, even surrounded by bad influences. God, I pray that we'll have the commitment to the harvest that you have, that every day we'll focus on our own growth and maturity because we want to present ourselves mature in Christ, to present ourselves as fruitful laborers, as healthy crops. Help us to run our race with endurance, to pursue fruit and growth. Thank you for giving us the tools that we need, God. Thank you for giving us the spirit that uses those tools in our life. God, I do pray that your harvest will be incredible, that we'll contribute to that, that we'll help others to grow towards your harvest. Father, I thank you for this parable and how it describes your sovereignty. Nobody can touch your field and affect your harvest. Nobody. Thank you for the way you guard your wheat, protect your wheat, and have our best interests at the absolute center of your thoughts. We don't deserve it, but we're very grateful.